And the title today is God, Don't You Care? God, Don't You Care? You might respond in your heart right now and say, I never think or feel that way. And I hope by the time we're done today, you'll think again and consider that this might be something that you feel and even think in your mind sometimes. So as we look at how we start today in verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. I want to remind you what day this was. And we looked at this day last week. And Mark chapter 4 verse 1 says, Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So that's the day that we're just now finishing here in verse 35. Jesus taught from this boat uh, just a little bit of ways out onto the lake, and there was a crowd out on the beach or right there on the edge, and they sat and they listened. So Jesus had a day of teaching, and these people had a day of teaching, and the 12 apostles and the other disciples in the group that was traveling with Jesus had a great day of teaching. They heard Jesus teach about the kingdom of God and what that meant for them. And we looked at that last week. And so that brings us face to face with what these folks experienced. And I'm calling it the Sunday-Monday Gap. The Sunday-Monday Gap. And we have all experience this Sunday-Monday gap. We have teaching on Sunday, preaching, we worship, we're encouraged, we enjoy one of those company most of the time. And then we're finishing um, the day, starting our week with this great high moment. And then Monday comes and real life, like we like to call it, happens. And it smacks us in the face and it feels like all the good that Sunday did is gone within the first two or three hours of Monday. And that is what is happening here for this group that is traveling with Jesus, the twelve, but also several other disciples that were traveling in the group with Jesus. They had a great day of teaching with Jesus And then that evening, that night, they get smacked with life and it jars them to the core. So as we talk about this this morning, it's really easy to use this passage to lay on the guilt. And I'm hoping as we examine these truths and the feelings and the turmoil that goes on in the soul of these men that it's not about guilt. We just humbly recognize the challenge they faced and consider the hope we have in the midst of these challenges and struggles. We will see areas that we need to grow. 
for some, Jesus' rebuke at the end of our time today will be very appropriate. Either way, let's respond with humility. We do not have it all together. Some people may feel like they've got it all together and they don't believe about themselves that they would have this struggle. Either way, we have a bright future as citizens in God's kingdom. And I pray that this morning will help us be able to enjoy the fullness of these truths. Let's pray. So, Father, as we consider now this experience these disciples had with your son Jesus, Spirit of God, help us to experience these feelings. May they be real to us. And then may these lessons be all the more real to us as well. Please give me clarity. Spirit of God, powerfully bring these lessons home to all of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I started all my points with A. I don't normally alliterate, but today I did. Whenever we are dealing with this Sunday-Monday gap, we need to look at the context of the situation. We need to look at appropriate context. Two of my children really like to tell a story, and they like to tell it with detail. Those two children are Kaylee and especially James. Not all the kids like to fill in the details, but Kaylee and James especially, you ask them a question or you ask them to recount an experience, you're going to get the full deal. They want to lay the groundwork. They want to experience it with you. And often, Katrina and I as adults, we just want them to get to the point. Let's get through this. We don't want a five-minute story. But it's important for us to experience the full context of what they are bringing to the table. And so I bring this up because we need to consider the details of the crisis that these men experienced, but also as we are looking at the crisis in our own life, we need to look at the full details of the context. It's important for us to listen to people tell their story. When people are telling us the story of their lives, all the details and all the context matter. And for us who are detached from that, it's very easy for us to not want to hear the full details of their story. But part of a healthy church is a church who cares about the journey and the story that it's one another's are in. It's brothers and sisters are in. The beauty of a church is we can tell each other our story and we care and we listen, we pray about it, we provide support. Some people, when they've gone through crisis, have disconnected from their story. One of the ways people handle crises, handle traumatic events, is 
they disconnect from it. They put distance between them and that. They try not to think about it. They try to shove it away as a tool to handle something that was so overwhelming for them. A lot of us would call that shut down. We shut down because the current situation is too much for us. And it can be helpful in the moments to make it through a crisis. Then a habit is formed of never really dealing with it. And it becomes a continual problem in our lives afterward. And so part of handling a crisis is to look at the details of a crisis appropriately at the appropriate time with folks who can help us handle that crisis, help us handle the feelings of overwhelm. So let's look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd... They took with him, excuse me, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So let's look at the details of this crisis. First of all, Jesus had been teaching from the boat for hours. We don't know how long, but for quite a bit of time, he'd been teaching just off the shore, sitting in the boat, and there on the shore was a crowd of people. Have you ever done something in front of a crowd for more than half an hour? even 15 minutes, usually for most people, when you're up in front of people having to do something and to keep their attention for any amount of time, that is a very tiring activity. Jesus had a physical body, and his physical body, after teaching and keeping the crowd's attention and thinking through content for a period of time, his body was wearing out. And so it was time to leave. Teaching time was done. It's time to move on. So let's look again at these verses. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, he's tired, it's time to go. Let us go across to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was in other boats were with him. So time to leave. Jesus announced it's time for departure. Let's visualize this. I want to draw you into this. First of all, I want to draw your attention that there were other boats besides the boat that Jesus was in. So there were some of his disciples with him in one boat, but there were also disciples, including the 12, and some other disciples besides the 12 in other boats. And there was this group of boats that were traveling together. And it says that they took Jesus in the boat just as he was. 
The implication here is, is that Jesus did not go ashore and make any preparations. He finished teaching. He says it's time to go. So they just launched across the lake with no preparations. So we have these groups of boats leaving shore as it was getting dark. It was evening time. Has anybody ever been on a small boat out on a lake when it's dark? Perhaps too far to swim, let's say a mile. Isaiah's been out in a boat in the dark. Say you've been out in a boat in the dark, maybe a mile out. Most people would not be able to make it back to shore even on a calm lake day. That's not something I prefer to do. I've had, as I've read books over the years and considered what it would be like to be in the middle of the sea, and I've watched a few movies where people were shipwrecked at sea, and did they survive, did they die, cannibalism and things like that, all kinds of crazy things. Now, for these folks, life on the lake was just normal. That's how they lived. However, I just want to draw you into the feelings of what is getting ready to happen. So, there is a sudden storm that crops up. It says in verse 36, And leaving the crowd, they took with him, took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already feeling, filling. Two or three years ago now, Katrina and I came over to the church to do something a couple of years, it was a couple of years ago, I guess, and we left the kids at home. We really enjoy those few minutes without kids we get here and there. And it's increasing these days as the kids get older, but as we came over to the church, she was doing some stuff around, around the church, and I don't remember what I was doing, maybe I was in the office, but then a sudden rainstorm came and at first it was just heavy heavy rain but then the winds began to blow and it was probably some of the worst winds that I've seen here now there have been some but pretty bad ones but this is definitely in the top five worst winds that I'd seen blowing rain and we began to get worried that perhaps this was a tornado that was suddenly coming and we really couldn't safely go outside. The wind was blowing that hard and that fast. And I think we'd walked over. And so for us to go across the parking lot with wind and there was branches blowing and things like that. So we started calling the house and calling trying to get the kids to pick up because we wanted them to go to the basement because we were concerned. Well, what if a tornado did come? They were upstairs. It was a time where we were getting a little frantic. Thank the Lord, the storm passed, calmed down, we went home, and there were no tornadoes. When we moved out to California several years ago, I remember the people here in Indiana saying, you're going out to where they have earthquakes? And then when we got out to California, the people said, you used to live in Indiana where they have tornadoes? There's, there's topographical concerns no matter where you go for the weather. Here on the Sea of Galilee, the topographical concerns were the way things were and the way the mountains were around the lake and the way the wind could channel through and descend and the lake was also below sea level, the way the wind could come in and channel down and go through these um, 
little crevices between the hills and mountains, it could produce a violent storm in a matter of minutes. So here we have these men, a group of boats, out in the middle of the lake, and it's probably dark or getting dark, and it's a violent storm, and the boat is filling with water. I want you to just consider how awful that was. I've not been in a situation like that where I was afraid that I would not make it out. But maybe you have. This is the depth of concern and depth of anxiety and fear. These men thought they were going to die. It's always good for us to consider the struggles of others in detail as well as consider our own struggles and then to label just for our own understanding of our own selves why we are struggling. So appropriate context and then apparent insensitivity. Apparent insensitivity. There are many, many relationship clashes, fights, disagreements that happen over apparent insensitivity. I think of marriage first. Yes, Katrina and I have had these where I think she's being insensitive to me or she thinks I'm being insensitive to her. We have little five little disagreements, marriages, that just happens. That is part of it. What about the workplace? I remember when I was a graduate assistant, I worked and there were some disagreements amongst us about insensitivities and differences of opinion and how we felt. Yes, it happens with my children, where the children get very offended at one another because they feel like they were not treated properly. Family relationships in general have this going on all the time. When I was in California, before we were able to find a house to rent, we rented an apartment, and we had a neighbor who worked at nights. And we shared a wall with them. And we were always very, very concerned that our, with that time we only had Kaylee and Jonathan, they were very normal, active kids, toddlers at the time. We were always afraid that our neighbor would be upset and think we didn't care because we were interrupting his sleep. Thank the Lord that never happened. But apparent insensitivity, this is a huge part of our human experience. Being bothered when we feel like other people are not treating us respectfully with the needs that we have. And here, Jesus appeared insensitive. Depending on how you are feeling today will depend on how you react to that. There are times of desperation in our Christian experience where God doesn't seem to care. It just doesn't feel that way. Whether we are willing to be honest with ourselves and how we feel or not, Our feelings 
And the way God feels to us, it feels like he is insensitive and he doesn't seem to care. He feels distant. And it feels like your suffering doesn't matter to him. Let's look again at these verses. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Often there was only one cushion on one of these boats. And that's what it seems to be saying that Mark was saying, the only cushion, the only padding on the boat, and Jesus had it, and, his, and he was asleep on it. And they awoke Jesus and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So we have the visual of this sudden storm in their desperation. But there's something else to add here with this setting. It says there in those verses that the waves were breaking. The tense here in the original language is this is not a completed action. This is an ongoing, regular action that was happening. The waves kept on hitting the boat, hitting the boat, and then breaking up and going over in the boat. And it kept on happening more and more and more. The situation was getting worse and worse. And don't forget about the concern about the other boats that were with them. They were likely having the same experience. And so not only do they see their own boat ticking on water and the waves keep on coming and coming and coming, but they can look out and perhaps for a short time until those boats were maybe driven away, see those other boats and they were in the same situation and their whole group looked like they were going to go down. And Jesus was sleeping, his head on a cushion, probably the only cushion on board. I want to make sure you get this. There was a huge gap between what Jesus looked like and the intense fear and anxiety, death-like, that was going on in their hearts. There's a huge difference here. Very hard not for anybody to look at Jesus during this time and feel like he was insensitive. And that's the way it is in some of our crises. Like these waves that kept on crashing against the boat. They kept on coming. They kept on coming. They kept on coming. So it is with many of our crises where another wave hits us and another wave hits us and something else bad hits us and it keeps on coming and won't it stop? And it keeps on coming and then it's starting to take me down emotionally. I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go under. And here... These disciples had the visual of seeing Jesus sleep. And although we don't see Jesus here on earth today, it feels like Jesus is totally detached from our lives and we are going under. 
this is one of the deepest struggles of the Christian experience. Think about Joseph as he was sold by his brothers. That was bad enough. But his way down kept on going. Things kept on getting worse. He was unfairly treated multiple times. Things kept on happening and happening. He kept on going lower and lower and lower. Think of Habakkuk that we looked at this last fall as he complained at God. It seemed unthinkable, unbelievable that God would do what God said he was going to do in bringing and using evil men against his own people. Think of Job and what happened to all his possessions and all his family and then how his friends interacted with his suffering. How bad can it get? It just kept on coming and coming and coming. Think of King David before he was king. He had done nothing wrong and he had served King Saul. And then King Saul, time after time, tried to kill him and he was running for his life. Talk about desperation. I've been in very dark times in my life before. Where is God? Does He care? My theology tells me that God cares, but my feelings tell me something different. My body is in a state of alert in crisis. My adrenaline is going because of the danger and the stress in my life. And that does not match with what my theology tells me about God. Consider that for these men. Their adrenaline was pumping. They were desperate. They were shouting over the waves. And here Jesus is sleeping. Those two things do not go together. So we looked at the appropriate context. We looked at apparent insensitivity. And then we see awesome power. We go from total stress and upset, feeling like we're going to die, to seeing awesome power put on display. Mark chapter 4 and verse 39. And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace! Be still! And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
We looked at this in Mark chapter 1, and this same word comes up again. Jesus said, shut up again. Mark chapter 1, verse 23, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. The word Jesus used with be silent is a very strong word. Be muzzled. Shut up is a very appropriate equivalent. Be quiet now. And this is what Jesus said to the storm. So we consider the word of God and its power. Let's go into a world of imagination real quick here. Have you ever imagined what it would have been like to be able to observe, to be there with God, with the Trinity, as the world was spoken into existence? Can you imagine the feelings you would have had and what that experience would have been like as you heard the words spoken and watched the universe come into existence with all its full color detail from the very smallest elements to the greatest, biggest things you can imagine. Awesome in power. Think of how the Trinity itself felt as it works together to accomplish this. We are creating God's image, so the Trinity itself has feelings, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so as as it worked together to create the universe, think of the experience of feelings and awe and joy and wonder that, that God had from Himself as He spoke the worlds into existence. As we think of God speaking and accomplishing great supernatural things and the feelings that go along with that. Think of how the disciples felt as they experienced the extreme of the storm down to absolute calm in a matter of seconds. Once again, our bodies, they are part of our existence And think of how they felt in their body and their soul. Their bodies go from a state of alarm and coming down to a state of calm, mirroring what's going on with the raging storm to the calm lake around them. Think of the terror in their souls and the fear in their souls for their life going to just a shock of a wonder, of amazement of being around such power displayed and how that happened. Have you ever been around a piece of loud equipment? It was so loud and so big that it rumbled the ground and your body naturally was producing fear. You did not want to be around that piece of equipment because it was so powerful that it was just, it was overtaking you. 
You want to get away from such power, such loudness that you can feel in your body. Let me get away from that. So it was in the sense, but even greatly, in much more magnitude, so it was with God, with Jesus, as he gave this command. And it was so overwhelming physically and emotionally, body and soul was consumed with what had just happened. And then, what happens next? Jesus turns to them. I imagine that he looked looked at them for just maybe a few seconds. And he gives them a rebuke in the form of a question. And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? This word afraid is is emphasis on cowardly. And then he asks another question. Have you still no faith? And that word still implies that they've been around Jesus long enough and seen Jesus do enough. He's saying, are you still at the point where you don't believe in me? Those are hard questions. And part of our humility is is to receive these questions and recognize that we have a cowardice type of fear that we should not have in some situations. And that we still do not trust God and believe in Him and His superintendence over all situations, even when we've seen God time after time take care of things. So can we receive this? Are we able to consider this? Or are we going to push it away because we don't like to think of it? Now, we should not despair. But we should be able to receive from God a rebuke when a rebuke is appropriate. As we talk about eyes of faith, we develop the ability to see beyond the physical. Now, we do need to be able to appropriately understand, address, and have wisdom and skillfulness of life in dealing with the physical realm. But as we grow and we seek the Lord obediently and humbly, there grows within us an ability to see beyond the physical to a spiritual realm, to see Jesus for who He is and to trust Him for our situations. Whether it's our health, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our employment, our financial situation, whether it's where we live, whether it's 
physical danger. Someone who is seeking God and growing in their faith will grow in their ability to see beyond. Hebrews 11, in its famous emphasis, its theme on faith, the first few verses talk about how it's only by faith that we can see that God formed the world through His spoken word. No scientist observed that. When we talk about origins, that's not science, that's faith. Because nobody could observe it. And so it's only through eyes of faith that we can see what happened at the beginning of the universe. Let's talk about reasons for storms in our life for a moment. One of the commentaries I read suggested that possibly the storm that was that arrived at the sea at that time was satanic in origin. Yes, God is in charge of all things, but God allows things to happen for his purposes. And that could be a legitimate reason for a storm in our lives, for a crisis in our lives, is that it's satanic or demonic in origin. You and I, in the emphasis in Ephesians chapter 6, talking about our spiritual warfare, you and I are called to stand, and we are given the power to stand in the midst of demonic crises in our lives. And Ephesians chapter 6 tells us how we can stand. One of the key words in those uh, 10 verses, verses 10 through 20, is that word stand. It's used multiple times. Sometimes storms, crises in our life are because of disobedience. Not every storm is. But sometimes, sometimes God chastens us. Or if you are not a child of God, sometimes God brings a storm and a crisis into your life to open your eyes to Him. Some storms, crises in our life, are refining trials. God puts us through the crucible, through the fire, to refine us. Some crises and storms are to prepare us so that we have the ability to serve God and others in the future. Some storms and crises are for the purpose of showing Jesus Christ through you to others around you. And we can want to grab hold of the crises and try to get them away and do everything we can when God has called you to go through this so that he can show the reality of Jesus through you to others around you. And 
God in his supreme, skillful wisdom can use a combination of these things when he brings a crisis to our life. Let's talk about reverential fear here for a moment because there's two types of fear talked about in this passage. First of all, Jesus rebukes their cowardly fear. But then in the conclusion, it talks about this reverential fear this, that they had for Jesus as they saw him and experienced that. It was terrible. It was overwhelming. It was amazing. It was awesome. It affected the whole body and their soul. And so it is for anybody who has been with Jesus. My dear Christian, whether it's a crisis or whether it's just routine of life, if you have not somewhat routinely been with Jesus and felt this reverential fear fill your soul and bless you and overwhelm you, scare you, amaze you, cause you to worship, you need to be concerned. Because a part of a healthy Christian experience is, doesn't it happen every day or even every week, but semi-routinely as you seek the Lord, you experience the fullness of reverential awe in your heart towards your God. And don't feel guilty and say, oh, I haven't had that for a while. Maybe feel convicted, say, yeah. You say, yes, Lord. You confess and say, yes, Lord, I really haven't been seeking you. I've been rather empty in my walk. But I want to seek you and I want to have the joy of reverential fear and all that comes is a fairly regular experience for the child of God that is seeking you. Just be honest with the Lord and get to seeking Him. He is faithful. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So appropriate context. Apparent insensitivity and awesome power. One point of application this morning. As I considered how to challenge us to go forward, the only thing I can come back to is crises in our life bring us all to the same point even at different levels of maturity, and perhaps there are crises we're more successful at, at handling through faith because of our Christian maturity. But no matter where we are with our maturity, no matter how well we handle it, crises in our lives all bring us back to the same point. No matter if you're rich or poor, no matter if you're famous or very not known at all, whatever it is, crises bring us back to the same point. We are sputtering in God's presence. We are struggling. We are broken. We are overwhelmed. We need God. So the appropriate response is to recognize, yes, I am going to, but Lord, you blubber in His presence and you're struggling. You go to Him. And you know God's love for you and humbly accept your weakness and Accept God's amazing and awesome power. Go through your crisis, yielding to God with your ups and downs. Trusting Him for His purposes and growing more and more. 
Take a few minutes. Respond to the Lord, sputter in his presence. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. And experience the joy of being in his presence and the fullness of his care.